This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, is the Matt McNeil Show. As you kind of just heard there, uh, we've got an interview coming up here. Good chunk of this hour, as a matter of fact, the entire hour is going to be Paul Nyland from Lifeline Ukraine. He was kind enough to join us today, and we talked about noon our time, 8 o'clock his time, as they are a third of the way around the world. And frankly, this is going to be the um, probably the, the, the best update you're going to get on what's exactly going on in Ukraine. Uh, they just don't even really cover it here in the United States that much anymore, so we got it for you. It's a pretty much an entire hour. We're going to take a break, start off with Paul Nyland. When we do come back, it's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. It's my absolute privilege to welcome back to the show Paul Nyland who is the founder of Lifeline Ukraine, a great organization in Ukraine offering mental health services and suicide prevention for Ukrainian service members, their families, and basically anyone else that needs it. Uh, and as, as we've talked before about Lifeline Ukraine and Ukraine as well, it is a high-demand service right now as the Ukrainians are dealing with the horrific aggressions of the Russian uh, uh, the Russian uh, dictator Putin. Uh, but as if you've been paying attention here, Ukraine is putting on a master's class of how you take down what is supposedly on paper a better force. They are absolutely kicking the Russians' caboose at this point. And I think the writing is on the wall. But needless to say, the strain is still there until the Russians are out of Ukraine. And that includes Crimea. Paul's kind enough to join us today to talk in depth about what is going on in Ukraine right now. Paul, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Matt, I really enjoyed our conversation last time, and I'm grateful to you for uh, inviting me back to come and chat with you again. I, 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 it is all my pleasure and and all my best to everyone over there. Um, you know, I can tell you this about Minneapolis-St. Paul. I don't see Russian flags. I see Ukrainian flags everywhere. They paint the buildings in the downtown, the Ukrainian flag colors. There's a tremendous amount of support. As, as there should be, because as we, we remind people, this is Russia just basically trying to, to, to steal part of Ukraine away. And Ukraine said enough's enough. And frankly, it has not gone the way the Russians thought it was going to. In the, in the last few months, it's been remarkable how well the Ukrainian forces have done because they have been able to make some inroads into these, these areas. And as a matter of fact, it's becoming very clear that the Russians are in big trouble uh, in these occupied territories. Uh, so the, the current situation uh, is, as you described, that the Ukrainians are making inroads into the occupied territories. But if you go back 18 months, it, it wasn't really um, Russia's intention then to take a part of Ukraine, uh, as you've just said in your question. R Russia wanted to take all of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. They came for Kiev. They, they, they had a plan to, uh, to end Ukraine's democracy, to terminate the presidency of Zelensky and, and, and the, 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 the legitimate government of Ukraine and replace them with, with, with a Russian hand-picked puppet, right? And, and that's the essence of what this was about then was a, about a battle between democracy and, 
either autocracy or kleptocracy, whichever phrase you, you prefer. And, you know, then with the early Ukrainian military successes of, of, of driving the Russians out of the, the Kiev region and the north of, of the country, putting them back across the border into Belarus, where they, they'd come from. And then the, the, the further phases of the counteroffensives that, that kicked them out of the Kharkiv region and and then took and I remember that we talked about this last time as well and, and talked about how vastly different those two military operations were the the Kharkiv offensive and the Kherson operation mm-hmm. Kharkiv was lightning and Kherson was softly softly just patiently continue to deny them their logistics and their their resupply opportunities until it became untenable for them to to stay in the city of Kherson and then we saw the wonderful scenes of of, of the people of Kherson being liberated and welcoming welcoming back the the Ukrainian army there, but but you know what's what what's going on now again is remarkable. It, it is a display of 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 military um, ingenuity, and I mean the 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 many different facets of this phase of the war and 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 what is going on with you know the the uh, naval drones hitting targets in the black sea with with the you know uavs that are hitting targets inside of russia which is really really important for um you know damaging russia's ability like this this massive drone strike on the pesco airport a few days ago took out a bunch of il-26 uh military cargo planes yeah. right and that's what's being used to transport large amounts of men and equipment from remote regions of, of Russia or from wherever they're being produced towards the, the, the front lines. And a, a big part of that capacity just got just got taken out. So it's it's all these different aspects of, of what is going on with with Ukraine's counteroffensive. But but what what the guys on the ground are doing, you know, I, if you if you were to look at the map on CNN International, I'm not sure what they show there on on CNN domestically, but but you see lots and lots of yellow spots, and they're all along the front line. Ukraine is attacking everywhere on the front line, and has been doing so to probe for weaknesses. And in some places, they they found them now, and they're exploiting them to some incredible success. There and they are. I mean, obviously, one of the things that the Russians did is they 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 dug trenches, they planted a lot of mines. There were some people that I think that didn't understand that were kind of wondering why is this taking a while. And I I, I thought the Ukrainian military, considering what the, they had to clear out of the way first, we were doing a remarkable job. They are making these inroads, and they're. I, I was reading a little bit about the fact that it doesn't. It's not going to take too much longer or further into these occupied territories to where Ukraine is going to become a, a, have a, a massive advantage where they're going to be able to hit basically all the roads that supply the Russian forces. And so it, it really is going to change the dynamic of this. And really, as, as one person I read uh, was reading about, he's saying that's the beginning of the end of this for the Russians. If they can't supply their own troops via the road and can only do it via the sea, they're in, they're in big trouble. And that is why the recent capture, it, 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 it was liberated about 10 days ago. There's a small settlement called uh, Robotini um, in the, the south of Ukraine, and uh, the Ukrainians got it to that point. But what, what that meant was not just that there's uh, a small settlement of a few hundred people that have now fortunately been liberated. What that meant was that the Ukrainians had passed the minefields 
and we're at the point of those first uh, Russian uh, dug-in lines of, of defense, whether they're the, the trenches or whether they're the dragon's teeth or whatever else they're, they're, they're coming up against. But, I mean, you, you talk about the, the intensity of the mining. I, I, I read a news article yesterday that talked about a, a group of sappers who spent 18 hours crawling on their stomachs through a minefield that had six landmines for every square meter of, 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 of territory, right? And, I mean, it, an 18-hour shift in any situation is, is, a, is a pretty intense thing to have to do. But to be doing that, where you are constantly at risk of with, you know, the wrong placement of a hand or a foot of potentially losing that limb and, and you know, knowing what the importance of that is because you're, you're clearing a path through for other forces to be able to, infantry forces and, 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 and guys who are going to start moving rapidly once they're at it face-to-face with the Russians, you know. That's, that's the kind of thing that's been going on. But getting to Robertini means that, that, that the, the first lines of defences have been breached, and, and the Ukrainians are very much exploiting that now. And, and from what I'm reading, what is between the first and the second lines is not so heavily mined um, and, is, and is less well-manned. And in actual fact, throughout the front lines, the Russians, are, they're, 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 they're low on manpower, mm-hmm. certainly low on trained manpower, right? I mean, and it's still, it, it's insane that Putin thinks that that uh, another wave of mobiliz- mobilization, getting another 400, 450,000 troops is going to make the difference. You know, getting bodies is one thing. Having trained professional soldiers is quite another. Mm-hmm. And so, and so the, 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 the mobilized forces that have been holding some of these lines, yes, they're dangerous, right? They're, they're men with automatic weapons. Anybody with an automatic weapon poses a threat to the lives of, my friends, right? Mm-hmm. But these aren't professional soldiers. And, and there are some professional soldiers in there. But as a whole, when you've got this mix of, of maybe some paratroopers, some experienced military, and then a bunch of mobics, the, as we call the, the, the mobilized, to simply make up the numbers and absorb Ukrainian ammunition, the overall fighting capacity of that particular unit is vastly diluted because... Mm-hmm of the fact that they're, they're, they're not full of, of professional military who know what they're doing. But, but the other important thing about Robertina is that that then gives Ukrainians sight to uh, a city called, uh, or a, a town called Tokmak. And from Tokmak then, as you've just said, everything, all the ground lines of communication, all of the supply routes, the roads, the rails that are in the south that were... Um, taken because Putin wanted this land bridge to connect Russia itself to occupied Crimea. All of that from Tokmak is now under fire control of the Ukrainians and the Ukrainians are advancing in that direction with with certain success and with relative speed right now. And we should also mention a lot of those Russians that they're putting out there don't even have a weapon. They're not giving them weapons. They're not giving them ammunition. I don't know what they're thinking they're going to do outside of, as you said, absorb Ukrainian bullets. But, you know, the Russians clearly don't even care about their own troops. I should get, tell you everything there. There was there was a time in the American Civil War when the ironclad ships came out 
And at one point, the two most powerful navies in the world were the the North and the South. They literally had the most you know up to date uh, you know naval navy you know containments at that point. There is a similar thing that's going on that Ukraine has taken over, and I have never seen a mastery of drones as you guys are doing right now. Your strikes deep into Russia, hitting military targets, the the stuff that you're doing out in the in the, in the Black Sea, it's a master's class at what you can do when you have people that understand how the drone operates and how is it most lethal in a combat situation, uh, it is truly incredible, your drone corps. That is, you, I mean, it's got to be the best in the planet right now. There's lots of things to say about that. One one thing is that uh, Ukrainians are particularly ingenious in general. <laughs> yes. they, they're, they're very, very smart people. They're very inventive. They're, you know, I mean, like the, 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 there's some big tech unicorns that have, been born in Ukraine. There are some huge IT companies that are that are you know Ukrainian founded and 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 um, and 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 it's an extension of that and and an understanding as well. Sadly, that that you know the, there was no way of achieving air superiority at this phase in the war by expecting modern Western fighter jets to be delivered. We we, we got that message a long time ago. Fortunately, it's now changed, but. The only the only way to <laughs> the only way to achieve air superiority, therefore, was was through drone power. And I I wrote an article uh, maybe four months ago, looking at how the the, the counteroffensive was going to begin. And, and one of the things that I, I said there is the first thing that you will see is you're going to see a massive wave of drones attacking the Russian positions inside of Ukraine. What I did not predict. And what has been stunning in recent days, recent weeks in actual fact, or months in fact this has been going on for, is the, is the attacks inside Russia itself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, the, the, there was an attack yesterday with a drone, I think it was in the city of Bryansk, and, and the target that it hit was uh, a microelectronics factory um, yeah. that is producing. And, and Ukraine had actually, uh, you know, like they, they telegraphed this, Days in advance, they'd said, we know where your drone production facilities are and we're going to come for them. And then two days later, one of the factories that's producing circuit boards that are being used for the Russian produ- uh, uh, drone production was, was was hit and taken out. Right. But, you know, I mean, symbolic strikes in the heart of, of Moscow, in, in some of these high rise parts of Moscow, very, very targeted strikes as well. Russia will throw cruise missiles. They, I mean, Monday night, Tuesday morning, they, they threw 28 cruise missiles at Kiev. All 28 were, were shot down. But they were all heading for civilian targets. Yeah. Russia doesn't care about civilian casualties. They want to maximize civilian casualties. When Ukraine has hit uh, business centers in, in, in Moscow, it's specifically flying those drones right into uh, premises that are being operated by certain ministries of the Russian government. Like, it's that pinpoint. And, and, and I mean, we, we mentioned the, the attack on, on Peskov the other day, uh, earlier on in the conversation as well. Peskov is 700 kilometers away from Ukraine's borders. That's some, that's some long-range capability to be able to do that. And, uh, and I, again, in my article four months ago, I was predicting the mass use of drones on the front, which we're also seeing as well. 
But I, I couldn't have predicted these strikes into Russia itself. And, and what it demonstrates so starkly is that Russia is completely incapable of defending its own territory, of defending its own country. And, and for us, sitting here in Ukraine, when, when we're seeing these strikes, it, it just, it, it's, it's a source of glee, is what mm. it is. Well, and it's, and it's, as you said, you're restrained. You're, you're hitting specific targets that have military or, or technological uh, applications. It's disgusting to watch the Russians try to launch missiles into schools, theaters, parks, crowded shopping areas. That's that's and if that's the uh, not a sign of a failing war, it's I, I don't know what it is. And they just they there's nothing there. They're a, a drunk man in a bar throwing haymakers in, in, in a in a dark room, and they just don't they don't really seem to have any game plan. These these. <laughs> Awful, barbaric strikes causing mass casualties on civilian targets. They've been they've been going on since the early days of this phase of the war. That's that 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 is what they do, and they do it very deliberately. There, there was recently, about maybe five weeks ago, there, there was a pizza restaurant in a city not far from the front lines called Kramatorsk. Um, and the, the 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 restaurant was known. It was one of the only places that remained open because I mean it, it is not far away at all from the front lines, it, it, potentially within artillery range even. Um, but this 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 pizza place uh, remained open, and it was it was popular with with journalists particularly. And and the Russians slammed a massive missile into it and killed. I think the final death toll there was was 34 people, you know, including a pair of young uh, girls. They were twins. They were 14 years old, right? There, there was a very famous um, Ukrainian writer um, who'd been working on documenting war crimes. And she was there with uh, with, with a team of journalists from Colombia. Um, and, I mean, we, we saw... This time last year, um, there, there was a strike on a, a, a train station, and and that's deliberately targeting women and children who are evacuating. And 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 again, it was it was it was an absolute bloodbath. And 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 that's what that's what the Russians do. That is, that is what their war fighting style is about. For you for Ukraine, you know, as much as there is a deserved animosity between the people of Ukraine and the people of Russia who fail to condemn what their state is doing, Ukraine will still not waste a weapon taking out those either supportive or ambivalent Russian citizens because because Ukraine is not interested in that kind of thing and, and every single one of our missiles is better spent on hitting a an actual military target and something that's going to make a difference in this war. What Russia thinks makes a difference in this war is is terrorizing the people of Ukraine. Well, they've they've learned. Well, maybe they haven't learned, but we we have shown in the last eighteen months that we will not be terrorized and 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 and, and we will go about defeating this 
evil that is attempting to subsume, destroy our country and genocide the people of the country. I will uh, – one final note here about the, the military combat, which once again, Ukraine is absolutely doing a magnificent job at, at this point, a, a master's class on how you, you repel a, a force. Uh, I was very interested to see that uh, the, the, the marine landing that you guys had uh, down, I believe it was on the Crimean yeah. Peninsula, uh, completely caught the Russians off guard. We're not expecting it. Uh, well, it and, and it and kind of makes it seem like there's absolutely zero in the way of defense down there, which kind of, I, I, I think, you know, kind of opens up, a, uh, you know, the potential of a new front there. Because once again, if Russia has to start all of a sudden defending places they haven't even built up to defend, they're in big trouble. Well, I mean, they, they, they can't defend the mainland of Russia. Yeah. Right? It, was, it was months ago that Russian volunteers who were fighting on the side of Ukraine decided that they would cross into Russia proper. They would cross the, 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 the actual recognized legitimate Russian-Ukrainian border and say, we're, we're, we're coming. And, and they, I mean, they were almost unchallenged, as was Prigozhin when he took over the military base in Rostov-on-Don unchallenged again and then decided to go from there on a, a joyride towards moscow before he aborted that because he did a bill deal with putin and then putin reneged on the deal and blew his plane out of the sky but when you when you talk about the marine landing i actually thought you were talking initially about uh, another one so the one that you mentioned um uh, on the crimean peninsula was early in the morning of of ukrainian independence day the 24th of august yes and, you know seeing that news on Independence Day was was a big morale boost for for everybody here. But yeah, the the Ukrainian Marines went ashore. Um, they had a particular target. It was uh, a, a radar unit, um, and there were Russian forces who were stationed around it. Thirty of them were killed. No Ukrainian casualties were taken. I, no losses of life were reported. I'm not sure about injuries. And 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 the Ukrainians all exfiltrated afterwards, and and just just told them we can come and do this. But the other one that um, the the one that I thought you were talking about actually was the Ukrainian cross river um, uh, landing on the left bank of the Dnepro, um, where they've created are in the process of creating uh, a bridgehead at a place called the Kozachi Lagari, the the Cossacks camp, um, and they've they've been in there and they haven't been dislodged already for about three weeks now, and they keep building up the forces there on the occupied uh, bank of, of the Kherson Oblast too. So th- th- there's lots of there's lots of fronts and lots of fields opening up. Well, and, and that the what you brought up the, the crossing that river the, the the yeah, that's you know once again there's a lot of signs here that this is going badly for Russia and it's just a matter of time. But once again, I it's yep. the people, it's the military, it's those brave fighters, it's the people that are giving this pretty brilliant game plan and it's the citizens that are doing this and that's where all the credit goes. Let's take a quick break. We'll come on back. I want to talk a little bit about some of the other elements of what's going on life in Ukraine as well. The the the, the thoughts on how the U.S. is responding, if it's enough for you guys. And and then obviously we'll talk about Lifeline Ukraine. Paul Nyland's joining us, the founder of Lifeline Ukraine, 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. Paul Nyland joining us this hour talking about well, the war in Ukraine, stopping the the evil forces of the Russians, and of course trying to help out the Ukrainian people with Lifeline Ukraine. Uh, Paul, I, I did bring up briefly there Belarus and Hungary. 
Um, these are two countries. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hungary is basic. Oban is, is basically just saying, if you touch the infrastructure of our gas lines that come into our country, we're going to get involved. I, that's going to be hilarious to watch. Uh, but the, the, the Belarusians uh, as well, they, 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 of course, obviously, and I'll call it, they're stooges of Putin. Uh, what, what, what is the, the Ukrainian thought on those two countries and, and their stances right now? Because obviously they're border countries and that is an obvious threat. Uh, Belarus has been um, essentially taken over by the Putin regime um, because um, they they had a presidential election in August of 2021, which was thoroughly rigged. And then the the good people of Belarus finally, finally stood up. They 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 took to the streets, hundreds of thousands of them. They were they were remarkable scenes. Um, I mean, I, I know many Belarusians and, and I, I've followed the situation there very, very closely for, for a long time. I, I've been invited, in actual fact, in the in the very early days of this phase of the war, I was contacted by one of my uh, very good uh, Belarusian uh, contacts who said, uh, my parents said that if you need a safe place to go, you can go to Minsk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my, my response was, was was exactly what it is what it is right now you know i just i just laughed like minsk would not be a safe place for me to be at all but 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 what happened was uh putin uh projected his uh anti-revolution uh technology onto belarus and uh succeeded to a degree though the belarusian uh, opposition um or actually government in exile really is what they should be um, the, the, the Belarusian opposition still exists and they have a very strong voice and the, 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 the groundswell of support for them remains a vast majority of the people of Belarus. Um, but, but, but since then, um, since, since Putin saved Lukashenko's bacon, Lukashenko is completely, completely indebted to him. The, the, he has no sovereign control. He has no say, he has no authority. He's only a puppet of... Of, of Putin, and that is why Russia was allowed to invade the north of Ukraine and come to attack Kiev from from Belarus because because Lukashenko had no choice. Um, Orban and uh, Hungary are, are, are a different different matter entirely. Um, you know the, the, that that's a country that is a member of the EU and of NATO. And, and both organizations should really be very, very wary of how they are being um, potentially under, not potentially, of how they are being undermined from within because of what Orban is doing and because of how Orban is also very much not just ideologically aligned with Putin, but very much indebted to Putin as well. But um, it, it, it's interesting that you bring that up because Orban just did a, a, a sit-down interview with Tucker Carlson a few days ago, and I, I, I watched as far as the first question. And, and, and Tucker says, uh, "People in America say that the Ukrainians are winning the war. What, what are your thoughts about that?" And Orban says, "It's a lie. It's not even a misunderstanding. It's a complete lie because Russia cannot lose because Russia has so much more manpower." And again, it goes back to what I said to you there in, in you know, the first segment before the break, right? You, you can mobilize another 200, 400,000 people. You can mobilize a million people. That doesn't make them trained soldiers. And, and so what the, you know, the argument, and that was the only question of the interview that I watched because I can't stand to watch Tucker Carlson or to listen to Victor Orban, but, 
But, um, ah. you know, the, the, the argument that Russia has to win because Russia has more people is, is simplistic, naive, and plain stupid. If, if you can't train the people because your officers have been killed, if you have no experienced military because they've all been killed to lead those new recruits, if you cannot equip them. And you mentioned earlier on, Matt, saying that, you know, you, you, you hear reports of Russians being sent to the front lines that don't even have uh, uh, weapons in some cases. I'm seeing more and more reports. It's hot here in, in, in Ukraine at the moment. It's been 34, 35 degrees over the last few days consecutively. It, it's hot here. And they don't, in, they don't even have water in the trenches. If, if you can't get water to your frontline troops, your logistics are a big, big mess. So, you know, I mean, yeah, the, 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 there are roles that are being played by Belarus as a staging post, by Hungary as a, 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 a promulgator of Russian propaganda, but n- neither of them are going to make any difference in the outcome of this war. The outcome of this war is Ukraine wins, Russia will be defeated. Ukraine is 63,000 square kilometers of territory, and that will all be restored and put back under Ukrainian government control. That's the end of the war. Oh, and justice, obviously. Putin and the others who are war criminals to The Hague for trial. The, uh, and by the way, you, you, you're good to call me out. There are a lot of great Belarusians uh, who are not basically part of this, they, as well as there are people in Hungary. I mean, Orban is, is not liked in this country as well. Um, and so, you know, but I can't wait for them to say, hey, we were always on your side after you win. That'll be hilarious. Now, that being said, the, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it is a mixed bag. You do see the United States I see is very much on your side. I actually have no problem. I don't think you know sending over F-16s. I think that you know. I think that that's you know that's what you do with allies, and we consider you an ally, the country an ally over there. There have been uh, some people. Obviously, Ukraine would love as much help as they can get. Some people have been critical, saying that they can't do enough, as well as also they've been critical of people like you mentioned, Tucker Carlson, some of the the paid paid off. Uh, organizations and politicians that are there just to basically be uh, Russian sounding boards. You know how how are the people of Ukraine feeling about the United States? Are, are they feeling like we, we're we're still good allies, or is is there just frustration with the lack of more more advanced technology and the fact that you do have these clown cars that are running around this country on the side of Russia? So I mean, you know, if again, just to briefly touch on Tucker Carlson, he, Tucker Carlson was declaring two months ago that the counteroffensive had past tense failed. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, that, that puts in context where where his knowledge of, of, of this conflict is. And uh, again, he's he's uh, applying the, the, the positions that he is uh, for personal gain and for personal benefit rather than anything else. Our our feelings towards the United States of America. And I, I mean, I say our because I've been here for 20 years. I, I consider myself to be Ukrainian. Our, our feelings towards uh, our allies in in the United States, uh, bipartisan, is is we are exceptionally grateful for everything that has been sent. There, there, there are there are some false narratives again applied by people like Donald Trump, and Donald Trump says Europe should pick up the budget more because it's closer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The, the the level of aid that has been provided, military aid provided by European Union member states and the United States of America are almost on a par, right? They're, I mean, literally, they're 
you know, within half a billion dollars of each other, right? Um, uh, so, so setting aside the nonsense arguments and the and and the the, the falsehoods, um, but when I said bipartisan, um, Mitt Romney a few days ago um, once again made the point of the value that that Americans are actually getting from their investment here. Yes, what support for Ukraine is costing you is three percent of your annual budget, your annual defense budget, three percent of it, and for that. 50% so far of your biggest adversary's military capability capacity has been eradicated. That, as Mitt Romney said the other day, and many have been saying for months, that is a bargain. Lindsey Graham was here recently as well. He's made exactly the same point. He's exactly he's exactly right. Um, you know, if, if I was trying to be completely uh, nonpartisan in this, um, I've just complimented a couple of Republicans there's a criticism that there are some within the the Biden administration who are too timid, who are um, erring on the side of caution because they they fear an escalation. Well, I'm sorry, but Russia's got nothing left to escalate with, yeah. other than other than rhetoric. You know, one of their one of their propagandists, Solovyov, was yesterday talking about destroying the Baltic countries. You know, well, they're NATO members. You can't, you you can't, and won't get anywhere near them. And and if they did that, if 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 Russia to attack were to attack a NATO country, they would be. I, I said uh, on social media within days they would be completely obliterated. Somebody came back to me and quoted actually a general saying, "No, this person says it would probably take up to about two weeks, mm-hmm. right?" But that's that's a fair estimation. But but yeah, the the. Timidity from some in the Biden administration, and if we're going to name names, Jake Sullivan is the the, the name that seems to come up most in in, in what I read, uh, as he is the the the, the, the most cautious one. Um, we we need we need longer range strikes. Mm-hmm. We we need we needed to have planes much much faster. I, one of the first articles that I wrote in this phase of the war, and, and we use that wording because the war has been ongoing russia's aggression against ukraine has been ongoing with a hot war in the donbass since 2014 but but one of the first articles that i wrote um i I actually asked the editor not to not to change the title at all and the title was we're here at the invitation of the legitimate government right because every time russia was accused of rightly accused um of, of committing war crimes in syria that was their only answer. They said, "We are here at the invitation of the legitimate government." And I was, and I quoted in this article uh, the, the chapter fifty-one of the United Nations Charter, which talks about the right of every nation for self-defense and the right of any other nation to contribute to that. And so, my article, probably two months into this war, was, "Give us, give us aeroplanes, give us, give us the means to control the skies and to claim." air superiority. Ukraine did not have an air force, but could have been supplied with one. And, and I'm talking about with, with old Soviet stock as well, like, you know, stuff that is sitting in neighboring Central European states that, you know, they, they've been operating in their air forces for decades. We, we could have got that. It didn't happen. We should have had the F-16s agreed much earlier. It yeah. didn't happen. We still have not seen the Abrahams tanks 
here, I know that they're complicated pieces of equipment. I know that they're essentially a jet engine with tons of steel and, and a big gun on the top of it. You know, I, 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 I get all the logistical issues, but you know what? Don't present to me, this is a problem. And so no, you present to me, this is a problem and this is the solution. Mm-hmm. Because from, from our perspective, from our perspective, delays and not just in U.S. Abrams tank, but 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 the the, uh, the the leopard tanks that are produced in Europe as well. Delays in uh, providing Ukraine the material that it needs to hasten the victory means more lost lives. So so that's our position, and I mm-hmm. and I tried to answer your question in as balanced a way as possible, talking about Republicans, Democrats, the United States, and Europe. You know, I, it, it it it's it's not. A, a pointed criticism at no, the no. U.S. specifically, or any particular element or or or, or, or particular political side in the U.S. It's it's to you all. It's to you all. And and let's talk about Australia as well. Let's talk about Australia. They've got these brilliant, brilliant vehicles called Bushmasters, right? They've sent us about, I think, four dozen of them, right? Well, I, I they they're great. They've proven their worth. They are saving lives. They're heavily, heavily armored and heavily protected, and they move very, very fast through Ukrainian terrain. Send another 250 of them now. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I want to, you know, a few things here. I want to make, make sure I review for everyone out who's listening. First of all, there are and, and there are a lot of Democrats. The vast majority of Democrats are 100 percent on board with the Ukraine. I am personally on, but the, the Russians don't have anything that can compete with the F-16. The F-16 changes the dynamic so much. The Russians don't have anything that can hit it. And so it, it's it's yeah it's an un, it's putting a finger on the scale. But as you said, we're investing a small bit here. We are literally watching the Ukrainians dismantle the Russian military force with us. That is a value that we will never be able to repay. We need to be sending you thank you cards for the next five thousand years because of what you've been able to do to, to the Russians. So I think it is. And by the way, if you want to be bipartisan, Nikki Haley absolutely smacking down Ramaswamy at the debate, saying no, this is our ally. We help Ukraine. And I think that that is that's one thing that is is endearing, at least for me, is I hear the vast majority of voices in this country saying help Ukraine any way we can. That's the important thing. If I can, I want to switch a little bit here uh, at the end here. I want to talk a little bit about when we you and I talked before we, we started recording, you said I'm exhausted. And I have to imagine that is the mentality. This has been uh, you know a year and a half, a little more than a year and a half, I believe, at this point. And this has been, you know, it, it's ongoing the strains on the, the the Ukrainian people. Talk a little bit about that and and how the day to day life is is going there. Obviously, we talked about the threats of still Russian attacks, but how are how are the Russian people? Excuse me, the Ukrainian people dealing with the day to day element of this of this you know war going on? I I, I saw a photograph of some cretin standing in a square in uh in 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 the netherlands the day before yesterday and he's holding a sign saying we're tired of this war right Mm -hmm. Uh, there's nobody who is more tired of this war than 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 the people of ukraine and um it, it it is it is it is ever present matt and and you know ever ever present is for example our fears of the text message that might come in 20 seconds saying that, that I've lost a loved one, right? Mm-hmm. That, that is, 
that that is a a, a, a minute to minute reality it's something that never leaves you um at the at the same time at the same time we have no other choice we, we have no other country we've got nowhere to go to right pe- pe- people say like you know give putin an off-ramp putin's got 11 time zones of off-ramps mm-hmm. get your troops back across your border you've got all the space that you need there you don't need any more territory and you're not having any of ours right this is Ukraine. This is Ukrainian land. Ukrainian people live here. All of it will be liberated so that the Ukrainian people can live a democratic future in peace. That is what is going to happen. And and so it doesn't... Yes, we are exhausted. Yes, there is the constant psychological stress. There, 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 there are the things that we have been subjected to, some of us, and witnessed all of us and experienced all of us that 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 drain that that chip away that add to the lines around your eyes and the wrinkles on your forehead whatever whatever there is no choice ukraine will win ukraine has to win ukraine will liberate all of its territory the you know the, the 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 people of crimea have been suffering under russian occupation and the, the militarization of their peninsula and and now there are recruitment or, or conscription centers being opened up in crimea to recruit tens of thousands of crimean residents to go and fight against their own country which in itself is a war crime an, an occupational authority cannot conscript the local population of an area that it controls, however temporarily or however permanently, and it is only temporary. But you know the the the, the Crimean Tatars, who are the indigenous population yeah. of that peninsula, have, have have seen nothing but persecution now for nine and a half years. You know, being being locked up for 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 having their the, their own language, culture, and identity. And, and objecting to their homeland being taken over by the Russian invaders. Yeah, it's, yes, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. But we have no choice. Mm-hmm. We have no choice. The, 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 there's a book, actually, by an American journalist. He's the FT correspondent, Chris Miller. And, and he, t- he titled his book, The War Came to Us. And, and, and that's, that's the reality, right? The war came to us, but, but, but we, w- we will finish it. And we will finish it where it started. It started, first of all, on the 27th of February of 2014. The the, the revolution of dignity finished on the 22nd of February when Yanukovych fled to Russia, right? And and for five days, it was like, what did we just go through? Again, the exhaustion after after 93 days of, of participating in a revolution and, and being on Maidan when when it was on fire, when, when, when people were being killed, when, when there were all kinds of attempts to, to, to bring an end to that rightful movement. We were exhausted on the 22nd of February, but Yanukovych was gone. And so we were euphoric at the same time. And then the 27th of February, five days later, the Russian military operation to seize Crimea began in earnest. It had been planned years before anyway, but it began in earnest with their special uh, forces soldiers taking over the Crimean parliament building and, 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 and forcing the, the members of, of parliament to, to call some kind of referendum that the Russians then staged. It began in Crimea, it will end in Crimea. 
and 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 once Crimea is liberated and the the Russians that have been moved in to assimilate uh, the and and change the demographic of the local population once they've been kicked out then the Kerch Bridge can be dropped and 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 that blight on the the map will be eradicated as well and that will be the final point other than justice in the Hague. Lifeline Ukraine is offering mental health services, suicide prevention for Ukrainian troops, their family members, basically anyone that calls. Your call levels, I imagine, are still at at, at peak levels as they've been the last time we talked, right, Paul? We, we, we began Lifeline Ukraine, Matt, as, as a support service for troops and their family members. We, we um, evolved a long time ago to being simply the national suicide prevention hotline for anybody who needs us. Um, we're, we're very proud of our roots that our, our beginning, we, we were inspired to come together and create what we did because we, we, we wanted to help the military, but, but now we help anybody. And when, when we last spoke, I'm, I might've touched on the, the kinds of additional trainings, the additional expertise and, uh, and, and knowledge that we'd taken on board to help with certain specifics related to what the Russians have been doing in this phase of the war. Um, we, we, we took on training, for example, to know how to support victims of, 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 of sexual violence. And today I read an article um, saying that there are now 93,000 reported cases Oof. of sexual violence at the, at the hands of the, the Russian occupiers. Each one of them, each one of them is a, is an absolute nightmare being lived for each of each of those victims, and and we we took on training to help people who are displaced by war, and that's that's a situation that affects millions and millions of Ukrainians. Uh, there's there's about eleven million Ukrainians that displaced, seven inside the country, and four million who are refugees. We 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 used to have before the twenty fourth of February last year, we used to average a thousand instances of support per month that we were providing um, in uh, April and May of this year, in the spring of this year, it was close to 6,000, a, a, a six-fold increase in the demand for support for, for Lifeline Ukraine. So, you know, I'm, 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 I'm proud of what my colleagues uh, have, have, have achieved and, and what they continue to do. And um, it, it, it's professionally, it, it's the, it's the most it's the most wonderful and impact impactful thing that that, that I've ever done with with my life and I you know the the that we are called on to such a degree now uh, as a result of this this war I'm just I'm, I'm grateful every day that 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 we did what we did that I was that I was invited to create this and and create it I did. And, and it stands there today to support every person in Ukraine who is experiencing some kind, experiencing some kind of emotional crisis or, or, or psychological trauma. And uh, we, we, we will continue to be here forever to, to continue to support those people. LifelineUkraine.com. If you go to the language bar, you can pull up the English do- site, and there's a big old donate button there, folks. I want everyone to go out there and click on it and make a donation. Help them out, and it's one little thing you can do here as we also lobby all of our politicians to make sure that we're getting—let's send the F-16s over there as well. Um, 
keep kicking their ass. Just keep kicking their ass. It is a beautiful thing to watch. And as I said to you before we got on the air, it's enjoyable watching Russia lose their entire military. By the, by the time this is all over, they're going to bring back the, all the stuff they used for the last Crimean War in the 1850s because that's literally all they're going to have is horses and carts because you guys have absolutely been brilliant in your fight to preserve your country. So God bless you all. I think you're doing a wonderful job. Matt, I, I, I thank you once again for having this opportunity to speak to you and to your audience and uh, let, let, let's do it again sometime. Absolutely. You can come back anytime. Paul Nyland, Lifeline Ukraine. Uh, we'll take a break. Come back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. Thanks to Paul Nyland from Lifeline Ukraine. Help out if you can. Uh, I will say uh, John Fugelsang actually has a post out there, which is uh, pretty much spot on on point. Uh, if you're one of these right wingers that's against helping Ukraine, uh, I want to put it in this perspective for you. If someone invaded your house, raped your wife, murdered your child, how many rooms of your house would you give them so they'd start being nicer to you? Of course, the answer is zero. Uh, basically, start blaming Putin for what is we're doing over there to Ukraine. It is ungodly and unforgivable. And help out Ukraine. God bless them all over there because they're doing they're doing the best they can for sure. Hour two up next. Hour two of the show here on your Thursday, which, by the way, is our last day of this week. More on that in a second. Matt Brett here today. And that Paul Nyland interview. It's... It is really remarkable when you see what they're doing. The thing which is crazy is, you know, I understand bias. I understand favoritism. I understand a lot of these things. But the reality is when you look at what Ukraine is actually doing, which even the Russians have admitted what's going on, when you see the 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 devastation that has happened, and and once again, when 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 Paul mentioned uh, Romney and saying, you know, they've taken out fifty percent, we've invested three percent of our annual budget, three percent of our annual military budget has gone to Ukraine, and they have taken out fifty percent of Russia's war capabilities. Not this year, period. They have taken out 50% of Russia's entire war capabilities. And considering Russia's got stuff in Syria right now and they're trying to put stuff into, into Africa, they don't have that much. That's why Prigozhin was able to basically walk his way to Moscow. That's why the, 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 the Ukrainians are able to use their drones on military and, and, and technology targets to the effect that they have. They don't have anything to knock it down. But it's when you look at what's going on in Ukraine, the fact that they've been able to establish beachheads in these areas that Russia wants to hold on to, the fact that they have been able to break through their lines. And as he says, the Russian forces they have are inexperienced, unarmed, with no food or water. Is it a real surprise because because the entire Russian military has become one big grift. That of the military budget, Putin and his buddies take 50% of it and give it to themselves. Then the other 50% goes down the line, and they're all taking parts of it, and they're all taking parts of it. And, and, and by the time you actually get to building stuff, 
They don't have anything to maintain anything. All the 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 the, the uniforms and the weapons are sold to the black market. I mean, it's it, it is disturbing, and I, I still think that the remnants of the Wagner Group are planning something. That they basically what they'll do is just pull them because I don't think I I don't think the Wagner troops care any more about Ukraine. I don't think that most of the Russians that are there want anything to do with being in Ukraine. The fact that the Russians are basically trying to force the Crimeans to fight for Russia in Crimea tells you exactly where they're at. I would be shocked. I would be shocked if Russia is still anywhere in Ukraine or Crimea by Christmas. I would be shocked. Now, the only question I have is would 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 Putin set off a, a, a nuclear disaster at one of the nuclear power plants as he walked out the door just as a, well, if you're not going to love me, I will destroy you. Because if you've seen what has been left in some of those towns in Ukraine after the Ukrainians free them, it's... I'm not joking, and this is not making light of what just happened in Florida. They look worse than what just happened to Florida in that hurricane. Because at least in Florida, some of the buildings are still standing. I mean, it looks like a Category 8 hurricane has scoured those towns clean because that's what the Russians did. They're, when it becomes clear they can't hold it, they basically take everything, including the wood and the foundations, out of these buildings and drive them away because then they can hope they can use them and sell them on the black market and make some money off of them. And it's decimated. Truly horrible what the Russians are doing. I'm, I, I, I don't think I'm, I, I think I'm on board with everyone here. I don't think I'm taking a reach. Everyone here at AM 950 is 1000% on the Ukrainian side. And frankly, I don't know anyone period, business or private citizen who is on the side of Russia. Everyone I know is on the side of Ukraine. So kick their ass and and bye, Vlad, because I can tell you what. Okay, can I bring up the point I brought up with Stein February of last year? Ukrainians hate your guts. Even if you get a draw, how exactly are you going to hold on to all that territory? Because the locals are going to be killing you guys left and right. There is no win for them there. There is no way they can win. They just basically will just destroy everything and leave. And when they get within firing range of all their their supply routes, it's over. Russia is going to be fleeing like crazy because they sure is not. They're not going to be spending money sending boats of fuel and food over to Crimea. They're just going to basically cut ties and say good luck. And yeah. Good stuff there. I'm 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 happy with how Ukraine's going. I feel sad, terrified, and saddened, and and exasperated and exhausted at what those people have got to go through. So 100%. And Lifeline Ukraine, I'll put the link up once again for them. Please make a donation. Please do if you can. Uh, they're doing God's work over there. The work of angels. Uh, so Brett, uh, what are you doing on your four day weekend here? We got a four. We you're not coming in tomorrow, are you? Uh, I'm probably going to be working remotely, finishing up some weekend stuff. So. But you're not going to be in here. For no, no. Hopefully I won't physically need to have my presence be here. No. Because we are <laughs> <we're> slackers. 
<laughs> yeah, we're going to be here. Uh, so hey, I think we're hardworking. A lot of shows aren't even doing live stuff on Thursdays, at least on other media outlets, I think. So. Really? Yeah, that's what I've... How did I get... I, I, hey, I, I don't mind. We did State Fair. I remember we get yanked out there on Labor Day at the State Fair because you have to justify it. That's why it's like people say, do you miss going into the State Fair and broadcasting? Oh, God, no. <laughs> Although it did, it was nice. The one thing that was nice about when we broadcast at the fair, when we used to that, is I could get every one of the food items. I could kind of time my day and stuff like that. Occasionally catch a show out there, you know, Paramore or Rush when they are at the the fair. But no, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm going to. I'll be at the fair tomorrow. But that's on my terms. That's on my terms. That's on my terms. Uh, do you uh, are you going to the fair tomorrow? Uh, I'm gonna try to hopefully go to the fair because it doesn't look like Sunday or Monday is gonna be a fun day to be out there with the weather we're getting. Text text me and when you get out there, and then it will meet up, and I'll let you know what food I've tried and what's worthwhile. Okay. <laughs> All right. If you uh, lead me in the right direction, I'll yeah. point you that way. Go that oh, way. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so text me when you get out there. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I've also got. Uh, I might. I might hit one of the two of the state parks here. It's. It, did you notice last night I went out and saw that blue moon, and the bugs were really down. That was nice. I don't know if we burned them all off. The, the planet. They've all died because of dehydration and heat. But it was actually kind of nice to go out there and look at the blue moon, which was not, by the way, blue. It was just the regular moon color. So just it was they call it a blue moon because it's the second full moon within any given month. That's what are you technically a blue moon. What's the strawberry moon? Do you know what the strawberry moon is? I do not. Strawberry moon's a full moon on the uh, the summer uh, equinox on June 20, uh, 21st on the longest day of the year. And it because it's that time of year, it usually comes up pretty pink. And it does. It's a strawberry moon. I like the strawberry moon. I didn't know that. There you Watch go. Watch for that next June. I, there's also something called the Beaver Moon, which I, 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 okay, tell me more. I'm intrigued. Uh, I have. It, it, I think it has something to do with September. I, don't know. I <laughs> so, bet it does. Oh, dang right, it does, man. September is a dirty, dirty month. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll figure out what that is. I'll see if I can do a search. We, of course, are not here tomorrow. We are not here on Monday. We've got great best of shows for you tomorrow. Uh, a one-two punch of, of pure joy for you. Dr. Joe scaring you to death with COVID news and and Michael Broadcorp talking about uh, his his thoughts on what happened with the reply. Either one of those interviews, fantastic replay for you tomorrow. Monday is as jam-packed as a show gets because we're going to re-air the show with Ilhan Omar, Greta Call, who ran as the DFLer out and I think it was Senate District 14, uh, out in the very western part of the state. She came by. And Burrill, Robert Burrill is in. That's your Labor Day show. No labor for you. Good stuff for you. Have a wonderful Labor Day because, once again, after this, we're running for the hills. Speaking of which, uh, we did not do uh, a uh, – we did not break a record yesterday on attendance. So this would be Wednesday, the only Wednesday of the State Fair. Uh, we actually were much lower than Tuesday's numbers. Tuesday, they had 134,000, basically 2,000 from the record. Yesterday, eh, 15, eh, a little less than, a little more than 15,000 from the record. 128,000, better than the year before, but still down 6,000 or 7,000 really from the day before. Um, the numbers start picking up dramatically as far as record days starting today. 
I've heard from some people that it's pretty packed out there because I think people are trying to avoid the real heat. They're now saying triple digits on Sunday. Um, the records, just for you to know, Thursday today, it's 156,000. I don't know if we'll get to that. Tomorrow, if there's a day I think that's going to have a chance of breaking the record again, is tomorrow, 209,000. I think a lot of people are going to go to the fair tomorrow. I think it's going to be packed by the afternoon. Well, I mean, yeah, I was originally thinking of the weekend. Then I saw the forecast and thought, uh, no, thank you. I'll try to do Friday. Right, like I said, text me. I'll let you know where I've, I've got. I've got my game plan. I'm going to get a breakfast sandwich too tomorrow. I'm not going to do. I'm not going to go do the biscuits and gravy thing where they got the peppery biscuit and this. I do like it, but I don't like food where I have to kind of focus where. <laughs> It's I, it's on a stick. I can say, pick it up with my hand. Stick, yeah. I can't pick up a biscuits and gravy with my hand. But there's a place that has a uh, uh, honey uh, honey bread, honey wheat breakfast sandwich. Done. I'm going to try that out tomorrow morning. When I, I'm getting out there early tomorrow. Uh, the record for Saturday is 270,000 people. 209, I should say. 209,000, a little more than 209,000 for tomorrow. Uh, Saturday, 270,000. Sunday is 245,000, and Monday is 184,000. So a lot of people try to get out there and enjoy that last day. It will be hot. Take a water bottle with you. They got water stations out there. You'll need it. And uh, enjoy. Because, <laughs> you know, nothing. At least they have the frozen stuff. They got a lot of frozen and icy drinks and stuff like that. That's good. But I got to tell you, I, I, I deep fried stuff at 100 degrees. What what is a Savannah? <laughs> That's, that was, I did that in Savannah. I went to uh, uh, okay, so I got dragged. I mean, yes, I did kind of get dragged. I was I was outvoted. I went to Paula Deen's, that Paula Deen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went down to her place. A little weighty as far as the food goes. Your dessert is basically was it uh, you know it's butter a butter bar. That's and that's the name of it. It's a butter bar. It's butter. She's uh, she wasn't exactly known for making healthy food, so she wasn't or or decency. Let's just be honest. Oh, there's about that it. little part there, too. There's a little smidge. That was my little problem. I was like, do I really want to go here? I don't want to go to uh, that, that that that's not. She's not. No, that's why I go to the other place. Oh God, what's the name? I'm, I'm gonna I'm, Wilkes the Wilkes House. Go to the Wilkes House. You're gonna say Waffle House? No, not well. Waffle House is its own. If you're not going to the Waffle House in the South during a trip down there, you're just wrong. But the Wilkes House, that place, holy God, is that an experience? And funny enough, tolerant. So you know you're gonna have a much better time. You don't. You can go and enjoy Southern food that will just. Oh my goodness! Without the guilt of really her. Uh, nine five two nine four six six two zero five nine five two nine four six six two zero five. I did want to mention one thing. Other th last thing about the fair, there was a protest. Did you see this? There was a protest out on Snelling Avenue last night, and I saw this. I didn't quite know what it was. I didn't know if it was you know what the case was. Um, protesters gathered outside the main gate of the Minnesota State Fair Wednesday, blocking traffic along Snelling Avenue. The Department of Transportation traffic cameras shows the protest taking place with vehicles lining up in a circle formation blocking both directions on Snelling Avenue at Midway Park starting at 745. Now, I'm going to tell you this because I imagine you might not know what it is. So right now, there's a lot of people who might be listening who might be, was it a Trump rally? Well, I'll be okay with that. Although some people, was it a Trump rally? I don't care about that. How dare they? Versus, was it about r r you know racial injustice? I'll be furious about that. Versus, was it about racial injustice? Because I'm 100% with that. 
here's what I'm going to say. Um, I don't care who you're protesting. It's, you know, you're going to get attention if you do this. I guess, and that's the point. You're definitely going to get attention. I don't know if it wins so many people over to your cause. How about I say it like that? Regardless if it's right wing or left wing. And we open the envelope. It indeed happened to be with the Black Lives Matter, Minnesota on Facebook. Uh, The great justice get together was sent around the death of Marcus Golden. He was killed by St. Paul police in 2015. That was the point of that, as well as also with Jacksonville. I'll I'll talk about that in a second. The protest was initially organized to call out the St. Paul Police Department lies, murder, and alleged cover-up surrounding Golden's death. Uh, The St. Paul approved a $1.3 million settlement to Golden's family in January. The protest was also, though, organized to support black community in Jacksonville, Florida, following the racially motivated mass shooting. Three black people were fatally shot by a white gunman before he took his own life. I think we all can agree that that's something that needs to be addressed and there needs to be a lot of attention towards that. We stand in solidarity with the black community in Florida as they mourn and demand justice for the three black people who were killed in a racially motivated attack at Dollar General in Jacksonville. The event's Facebook description reads, I would, I, I, I want to know the truth is completely agree that both of those things need to be brought attention to. I'm just going to let you know when you go out and shut down Snelling Avenue at the fair during the fair, you're going to get more people upset with you, even the people that agree with you than that are going to help you. Frankly, a flash mob walking through the fair calling for justice would, would I think, you know, get more attention and let's face it, probably get more, more, you know, positive coverage because boy, the conservative sure jumped all over you yesterday about this one. 952-946-6205-952-946-6205. We'll take a break. Come on back. Uh, I, I'm going to get back into this police officers and school resource officer story because this, this is the story that just doesn't want to die at this point. Uh, we'll talk about that. It's the Matt McNeil show right here on AM 950. By the way, just uh, one little catch with yesterday's show. We were talking about Mitch McConnell, which uh, Stein. Um, and by the way, we will have the Stein show. The, we do re-air the Stein interview on the weekend, right? That we do. On Sundays, you can catch it at 5 o'clock. And for your own uh, listening pleasure to the good Jeff Stein interview we had yesterday, talking about Mitch. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, Mitch obviously needs I, – I, I don't think he's well. And this is not joy or happiness as much as Republicans want to, you're excited about Mitch McConnell. No, I'm not. No, 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 no. This is like when Britney Spears went crazy, shaved her head and started threatening people with, with an umbrella. And I'm like, dude, she needs help. She needs freaking help. Get the freaking paparazzi out of there and get her help. Now, that was very different than what Mitch McConnell is. He took a fall, hit his head, and he clearly is having some mental issues in, in, in with that. That being said, I hope he gets the, the treatment he has. The, the medic, the, the, the congressional medical medical office has signed off on him saying that he still is able to work, which is fine. But I, I mean, a lot of people say, well, what about Senator Dianne Feinstein? I, I don't think Dianne Feinstein should be in the, the, the Senate anymore either. I don't think she is health-wise there either. I'll be consistent. That's that's easy. And we talked about that actually yesterday, is that, you know, if you have someone who is clearly health-wise compromised, I mean, this goes back to um, Woodrow Wilson. I mean, Woodrow Wilson had a major stroke in his second term. His second term, 
people have said we've never had a, a, a female president. We kind of did. Because what would happen is they would come to Woodrow Wilson because he was in the White House. He was sequestered away from everyone else. His wife basically was a wife and a few trusted aides were the only people there. But whenever they brought bills to him, they would bring them to him. His wife would take them, close the door, and then basically hand them back whether they'd be signed or not. Well, by all accounts of what happened to Woodrow Wilson, he wasn't able to do that. And as a matter of fact, they actually changed the Constitution after that so that they could remove a person from office who was mentally compromised to that level um, you know, because of his health reasons. And But yeah, she basically was – she was basically the president of the United States for for that the time after that stroke while he was uh, uh, still in office. I mean, it really was. So I you know I, I think that the you, you can you you know I have no problem with the argument that we might need to um, basically um, you, you know go out there and and have some you know. If you're if you basically have have been in front of a camera and been in a crew and you stop talking for thirty seconds and you need people to basically come up and and pull you off the stage, well, I don't know. Are yeah, I, I that's that's I don't think that that's good. And I'm I'm saying this with all with, with as a Christian, you need help and by all means get it. And you know you are a senator, the taxpayers will pay for it. By all means, have no problem with that. But that's just not good. That's not good. Uh, 952-946-6205. Under the law changes, police officers assigned to schools, known as SROs or school resource officers, cannot use the prone restraints, meaning placing a student face down position, a.k.a. the George Floyd position. They can't do that. That's what this new law says. In addition, the new law says they cannot inflict any form of physical holding that restricts or impairs a pupil's ability. Pupil, a child a child's ability to breathe restricts or impairs a pupil's ability to communicate distress, places pressure on weight on the pupil's head, throat, neck, chest, lungs, sternum, diaphragm, back, or abdomen, or results in straddling a pupil's torso. I think we can all agree this is not grand behavior. Now, that's still all of that, what I've just said, in the law is superseded by an officer who is trying to prevent imminent bodily harm or death to the student or to another student. So if the student is harming themselves, harming someone else, or is a threat, if the officer determines that there is a serious threat of bodily harm, the officer can do this. So all that stuff I just described, there is a caveat which says a police officer can basically ignore those restrictions if there is the case. And both Keith Ellison and Governor Walz have said that the deciding factor on whether it was appropriate behavior will be in the local uh, the county attorney's offices. That's where it will be decided. And if you've not seen this, that is generally a fairly pro-police group. So, Because this comes back to what I have said, and I've been saying this bef- as, as a while here. The Republican Party to basically get the police to as a an official campaign arm of the Republican Party, which is kind of true. And you guys are like, well, we are we're not biased. No, you are. You you know, plenty of officers show up in 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 ad literature and campaign literature for Republicans. It's just what you guys do. This was the trade-off. The trade-off was Republicans made it to where the law basically says if an officer says, I was scared. 
they can murder anyone they want to. Well, especially if they're black or a Native American, let's be honest. And so what you get is, um, you know, Jamar Clark. Uh, you, 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 you get, um, you know, get, um, you know, uh, who is, uh, you know, who's the, uh, uh, Philando Castile, Philando Castile, you get, you, you get, uh, who is the, uh, the individual that was shot when they, they raided the house and they did the no knock warrant. Um, in, in the, the, not Ricky Cobb was the the, the officer. They just shot out there on the highway. Of course, George Floyd, we've had multiple cases and pretty much George Floyd is really about the only one that it, we've seen any kind of justice for. And that was only because it was so brazen that they murdered him in the middle of the street and still the police, still the police tried to argue a justified kill. Still, they tried to do that. Unbelievable. But in those cases where the police got off the hook, what was their argument? I was scared. I was scared. I was so scared. And I just want to say from the bottom of my freaking heart, if you're that scared, you shouldn't be a cop. You shouldn't be a cop. If you're that scared where you're just going to start pulling out a gun and start firing rounds willy-nilly, then you shouldn't be a cop. You shouldn't have a badge. There should be a standard for law enforcement. Considering we do consider these the best of the best, that that standard should not be, well, were you scared? <laughs> you were, were. Well, then I guess good kill. That is kind of the way we are at right now. This law, and we've had multiple cases of not only here in the state of Minnesota, but in, in nationwide, we've had videos of uh, school resource officers violently attacking young children, violently attacking them, not because there was threat to bodily harm or death, but because the SRO just didn't like that attitude and was going to show whom them who was boss. And then they violate. And then, of course, when the video comes out, it's like, well, we didn't condone that. But considering there isn't any laws against that, we got our stern wagging fingers out. We're going to wag that finger in that officer's face and we'll give them some remedial training. But that's all we can do to hold them accountable. So this bill, this bill does the bare freaking minimum that you can do to have some level of accountability. The bare freaking minimum that basically, unless you have a justifiable reason, you can't just go out and start beating on young children in the school. Heaven forbid we put this standard into place. But yet this minimal standard is infuriating much of the law enforcement, because let's be honest, what the real problem is, is they don't, they want to be able to, if they do beat the living daylights out of a young child without cause, 
They want to be able to have the standard of, well, we got our stern wagging fingers out and we're going to give him some remedial training. Oh, there'll be a letter in his file. He'll learn his lesson and we'll have him back on the job tomorrow. That's what that is about. They want to have zero accountability, zero consequences when they do this. And that's why they're trying to scare it. And of course, the Republicans are like, this is a crisis. Now, I got to tell you, there's been a lot of blowback on this, on this Republicans, because a lot of people saying, well, shouldn't a parent's bill of rights in a school at least involve that a cop just can't come up and start throttling a kid? I would hope so. And this goes back to yesterday. Yesterday, we played the audio of Duckworth, the Republican out of Lakeville, he's out there. He was asked, well, can you describe the lines specifically in the bill that you're against? And he can't because that would have to admit, well, what we want is basically the police to be able to beat the living daylights out of anyone and have very little accountability or consequences if they do so. Not saying we're encouraging that, but if we have an officer who's having a bad day or he was scared because of a 14-year-old, well, that he can taser the 14-hole, punch the 14-hole, chokehold the 14-hole. And hey, we're not, if a video comes out about it, we're not going to say it's bad. But what we'll do is we'll, you know, we'll condone, we'll condone the action, get our stern wagon fingers out, give him some remedial training, and have him back on the job. See, no problem outside of the kid who's basically been injured and is now scared to death because of the mental consequences of being violently attacked by a police officer in his school building. I mean, outside of that, <laughs> no blood, no foul. Well, sometimes some blood, but I mean, well, no foul. How about that? Yeah, this is freaking crazy, isn't it? It's freaking crazy. The reformer has some information on this. I'll tell you what, Pat, hold on. I'll get your call in a second. I'm going to go through the reformer story a little bit about this as well. But once again, I'm glad to see there is a lot of people pushing back and saying exactly what is the problem you have with this bill? Because I want to remind everyone, even this bill says if there is a dangerous situation, all bets are off. You do not have to restrict yourself. You can do whatever you need to do to stop the violence from happening. So what's the problem with this bill? 952-946. It's, it's the accountability. They want zero accountability, zero consequences for when an officer makes a mistake. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. We'll take a break. Come back. It's the Matt McNeil Show on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205. Pat in Minneapolis has been kind enough to wait uh, on hold. Thanks, Pat. Welcome on into the show. Hi, Matt. I just wanted to bring up, you had mentioned Orlando Castillo uh, shooting yes. for the officer. And I believe that officer was not white. Am I correct? Uh, Yanis, I, I, I do believe he was, he was not white. I do not, I'm not sure exactly his native, uh, his, uh, nationality or his, uh, ethnic history, but I do believe he was, uh, Yanis, officer Yanis was, I believe not Caucasian. Okay. And, and then also the, uh, there was a black but he, by, by the way, shot. by the way, Pat, Pat, by the way, I want to make sure I mention the fact that he still did use that I was scared argument. You know, Philando Castile mentioned I have a carry concealed weapon. And all we know is Yanis said, 
he felt his hand was going someplace and he opened fire in a car with a woman and a child in the backseat, almost hitting them and frantically and wildly shot Philando Castile. And Yanis did this, and his entire argument was, I was scared. And I should also mention in that trial, on the jury was a woman whose gas station serves police officers who'd said that she would never hold a police officer accountable. So, yeah, justice. And I also heard uh, the shooting of, I believe she was from Australia or New Zealand, a woman, uh, by a black officer. That was uh, the Muhammad Noor. That was Muhammad Noor who shot. Uh, uh, oh gosh, and I and forgive me, I can't remember her name off the top of my head. Uh, but he in, and in remarkably, he was one of the other few officers that was actually held accountable. Uh, Muhammad Noor, when, when he shot through the car and almost shot his partner, to uh, you know to to shoot uh, um, um, the, the the woman from Australia. Do you remember the name off the top of your head? Uh, Justine was her first name. Just- I think it might have been Demond. Uh, Justine Demond. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, that was that's as well. Just it's it's about the culture of the police department. It's not necessarily a Caucasian thing. It's the culture of well, the police. But you kind of kept saying about Caucasian cops. You I didn't say. Did I say Caucasian? Were, I don't. I, I don't think I ever no, once. No, no, no. I don't think I ever. Pat said Caucasian cops. Brett, did I ever say Caucasian cops? I don't believe so. No, I don't. I just said cops, right? So uh, I think I'm, I, I think I, I think Pat's trying to trying to get me on some sort of technicality because he's trying to he's criticizing me for saying something which I did not say, and and saying aha. The reality is, as I've said, police, right? I don't think I've said white police. I don't think I've said Caucasian police. I think I just said police, right? Have no, you heard I'm... me say anything else besides police? Not today, no. No? All right. Maybe what Pat's doing is seeing that there is a lot of these police shootings that involve white officers, and he himself realizes, well, this is kind of a problem. So, well, maybe instead of dealing with that problem, what I'll do is say, hey, there was once a minority that did it. Like, that's a good thing? I mean, that seems, I mean, Pat, if I can be honest, that seems like the stupidest freaking argument I've ever heard. That, okay, but it's okay because there was once a minority officer who who violated someone's rights. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I think in the case of, oh, God, who was they were there hunting? God, I mean, how many cases can we bring up? Um, the, the, the guy that was, was found not guilty on Lake Street when they, they opened up fire on him and without announcing who they were. Oh, Jaleel Stallings. So they, Jaleel Stallings. I think some of the O's officers were minority officers as well. So I, I, what, I, I don't. You're happy about this? <laughs> I don't quite, Pat. I don't quite know where you're going with that. But when police are violent, regardless of their race, that's a bad thing. You seeing all the the, the vast majority of them being white officers, which they are. And saying to yourself, well, minority officers are so I do you think I'm going to run to the the side of a minority officer who's violently murdering somebody? Say and say justified, what are you talking about? Justine Demond, you're right. That was right. I mean, but dear Lord, listen to how many cases I can bring up. And this is all within the last 10 years in this damn town. But no, Pat, he's, he's, you know, he only seems to be bothered by it when there's a minority officer involved, I guess. I don't know. Where were you going with that, Pat? 
I know I don't bother calling back. I don't really care to hear. But no, for the record, we've just been talking about police brutality. I don't think I've ever brought up white police brutality. That's what you did, Pat. Swing and a miss. 952-946-6205. So Republicans say the problem with the law is that if a school resource officer can only intervene in a conflict once it escalates to the point of being intimidated body harm. Yeah. So it means you just can't go up there and start pounding on some kid you think is going to do something wrong. So, yeah, I think that that's, that's kind of the intent of the law, right? Uh, this is Lisa DeMuth, uh, the Republican from Cold Spring. I want to know that there's a school employee that can step in before we're talking about bodily harm or death with one of our students or one of the staff. No, okay, what you don't seem to understand is if the police officer has determined that there's a threat of bodily harm or death, they can step in before the bodily harm or death happens. They can make that determination. And by the way, all these restrictions go out the window and they can do whatever they need to do to stop the bodily harm or the death. What this doesn't do is like that one case where the police officer basically violently threw the girl who was all she was doing was sitting in her desk. And when he when he said, I want you to get up and move. And she didn't. He violently picked up the desk, threw her to the ground in the desk and then violently grabbed her by the head and dragged her out and threw her across that case, even though that they were upset about it. Most of the punishment was waggy, waggy finger. Well, actually, I do think they did fire that guy, but only after a video showed what he'd done. I think their first argument was, well, we talked to him and we wagged our fingers pretty strongly and and basically gave him some remedial training. Oh, wait, there's a video? Oh, well, no, he's gone now. Oh, he's, oh, no, no, hey, whoa. Hey, now he crossed a line by publicly embarrassing the police department that was trying to defend him. Ta-da! You see how the game plays? Yes. Um, this is so the DeMuth puts this whole thing out there. It's like, well, we should stop it, which you can. It just is that they have to have justification, which that'll be up to the county attorney, which for the most part are pro cop, which means there's really not a problem here, is there? The law change only applies to officers who have contracts with school districts, so officers who are called to the school aren't bound by the new restrictions. So there's that. They can basically pound on any student they want to if they're called to the school. There's no restrictions on that. Officers employed by the same law enforcement agency could be bound to it by a different use of force policies. But that's the then they don't want to work in the school. They don't have to. At least seven districts announced they won't have SROs at the beginning of the school year. On Tuesday, Wall said a special session regarding the new law isn't needed at this time. Those officers, we need to make sure that they are they and the students are safe. Because once again, in the entire Republican Republican and police argument here, you know who they don't really talk about is the safety of the students. They kind of left them out, you know, in the school. But Wall says they need to make sure that the officers and the students are safe. But we also need to make sure that we're not using excessive force to break force to break up a fight. And I think that's the intent of the law. Agreed. Shortly after the press conference, House and Senate DFL Education Committee chairs released a statement saying Walls' administration is working diligently to ensure the districts and law enforcement have the guidance they need to do their jobs effectively. Dual districts reported over 10,000 physical holds uh, in the 2021-2022 school year, according to the Minnesota Department of Education. Over 2,000 of those students had disabilities. Wow. 
yikes. I think now we are understanding why this law is in place. The Department of Education defines a physical hold as interventions limited to a child's movement, but does not track how many of those are prone holds. Minnesota District Attorney, or Attorney General, rather, Attorney General Keith Ellison issued opinion last week clarifying the law. He noted that reasonable force may be used to prevent bodily harm or death. What is considered a reasonable force varies on the case-by-case basis. Ellison said in his opinion, that's up to the county attorneys, which once again are generally very pro-police. The League of Minnesota Cities, which ensures all but nine cities in the states, issued guidance on Monday about the new changes in a memo outlining some of the scenarios where the use of force is lawful. Now, once again, this is the League of Minnesota Cities, which actually ensures these, these, these cities. For example, officers are not allowed to physically stop a student who's throwing a lunch tray on the floor and shouting, according to the Minnesota League of Cities. Officers would be able to use force, however, if the student is breaking glass with a metal bar because it could result in physical harm, according to the League of Minnesota Cities. Analysis. The authority to use force is the sole purpose of the restraining a student has been removed from the law. The memo states, thus, force cannot be used when there's only, the only justification is to control the behavior of a student who is damaging property, causing a disturbance, or is acting out in a way that does not pose a threat of death or bodily harm. So basically, once again, I wanted that no longer can you use extreme force when the only justification is to control the behavior of another student, not because... or or the students causing a disturbance, which is, and I want to make sure we understand this, there clearly is a problem with police using these highly aggressive techniques just to stop the behavior of a student or stop the student from causing a disturbance, which is not something I think we should tolerate. Mendota Heights Police Chief uh, Kelly McCarthy says she believes the many cities will follow the League of Minnesota Guide uh, Cities Guide since it's their insurance provider. McCarthy, former chair of the Minnesota Peace Officer Training and Standards Board, said she believes panic around the law change is political. This is actually an officer backing up the law. I think the hysteria is partisan, McCarthy said. So... There you go. You even have even a law officer who at one point was a former chair of the Minnesota Peace Officers Training and basically saying, I think a lot of the people who are trying to scream about this injustice towards the police are only doing so for political reasons. That it seems like, once again, the governor, the attorney general, the the League of Minnesota Cities um, – have all basically come out saying, yeah, this law is legit. You can do this. Here's where your here's where your border is. What you can't do is have a cop who's having a really bad day because he spilled coffee on himself and he's really angry right now. And some kid comes up to him and he's like, here comes the pig. And that cop can't all of a sudden go out there and haul that kid aside and start clocking him in the freaking grill and throw him on the ground and jump on him and say, I'm taking you into the office for your disrespectful attitude. That is no longer allowed. Thank God. Once again, the all this is about is basically making sure that there is no accountability or consequences for an officer who clearly crosses a line and violently attacks a child in a school, potentially causing them harm. At the very least, a lot of, of, of mental damage by a child being abused by a police officer for an unjust reason. 952-946-6205. 952. And by the way, 
Did not say Caucasian. You're welcome, Pat. Uh, 952-946-6205. Well, come on back. I'm going to be on the side of accountability when I come on back. It is the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. By the way, it also tells you a lot about Pat, that that's where his mind went about who needs to be reined in and why what officers need to be able to do that. I got it. At least, that, at least I don't know exactly what that dude was thinking, but I got some real strong suspicions. Uh, so uh, I think it was... Was it in Oregon? Where... In Oregon, they, they had a, a public works project that was being bid out and a contractor, you know, put in a bid that was lower than everyone else and said he could get it done for that price. And so they went with him and almost immediately basically said, well, I can't get it done for this price. I need to raise the price this much. And it ended up being he was quoting a price that was actually going to be one of the more expensive bids because he just wasn't honest. And they took the guy to court and shut him down, actually got his business shut down because they said, you have to, you know, hold it, you, you need to, you need to, you know, stand by your bid and shut him down and ended up basically having to go with someone else, but they basically held him accountable. And I, I like that. I do like that because no one is forcing a contractor to bid on a project. A contractor can make a bid on a project. And part of the problem with contractor bids on project nowadays, I can say this as I was on my city's planning and zoning committee for four years, is that a lot of them will make a low bid saying, well, I'm, I'm already planning on basically asking for more money later. And frankly, I got tired of it. And I think that if you make a bid for a project and your bid's accepted, well, that's what you should bid for. In the case of the Southwest Light Rail line, I have been very vocal. I don't think that the contract, the company that got the bid to build the Southwest Light Rail line did any of their due diligence on what it would cost to actually build the Southwest Light Rail line. Now, there was one sound wall that needed to go up between, or a safety wall between the light rail line and a train line in Minneapolis. Okay, fine. I have no problem with that. That's after the fact. Oh, this is probably going to be the safer way. Cool. But there was a transit station that was built in Eden Prairie that wasn't part of this bill. And still, someone needs to explain to me why the taxpayers are on the hook for that. And then there is, well, this, this, the whole cost of building the tunnel in the, the Cedar Lake of the Isles area. And basically, this guy coming back saying, well, we, it's going to be much more expensive than we thought. Well, then you didn't do your due diligence. I think you have to hold them to it. Brad Tabke, a DFLer from Shakopee, a great representative too, and a big fan of his. Tabke said he was talking to Eyewitness News. He asked the Met Council how much the Southwest Light Rail budget deficit will be and said he was told to be in the neighborhood of $400 million. This comes a week after the Met Council management announced it had reached an agreement with Hennepin County to split the cost, fixing the budget gap 55-45, but no exact deficit numbers were given at the time. Since then, Tabke says he's got a breakdown of what the 55-45 split looks like in an actual dollar amounts. Yes, somewhere in the upper 180 to $200 million is what the Met Council portion of this will be in the end. He said in Hennepin County's portion of the deficit will be about the same. That would put the estimated Southwest Light Rail project deficit somewhere between $360 million and $400 million. 
Tabke, who is the vice chair of the House Transportation Committee, said the estimated $200 million is going to help balance the SL deficit would mean almost certain delays for transit projects in other six metro area counties that are represented by the Met Council, adding rapid bus transit routes, micro transit, and pieces that would already help transit in its final mile for transit to make sure that we have the transit system that works for everyone around the region. It will be delayed, said Tabke. The Met Council spokesperson declined to comment on Tabke's estimates, but said there would be more definitive Southwest Light Rail budget def, uh, numbers. Met Council Committee as a whole is expected to hear more of the details in the next meeting on September 6th. Um, I think you hold the contractor accountable to their budget. If they went, if it costs more, they should have anticipated that. They didn't do their damn due diligence. I remember they used the wrong tunneling equipment to begin with. They were told specifically they couldn't use it. And they said, well, we'll just send this in anyway. And then acted like, well, I didn't know that. Well, no, that was part of the freaking bid. And if you bankrupt the company, well, then bankrupt the company, sell off all their assets, take that money and go hire someone that will do it right. But you got to start teaching these contractors who put in these woefully inadequate bids that if they don't basically hold up to it, that they're going to be responsible. And I don't think giving them a big paycheck is helping out anything. I'm, I'm hot about that one. Once again, best of shows next two days. We're back on Tuesday. Have a wonderful Labor Day weekend. Native Roots Radio is up next till Tuesday. See ya.